When the glorious, glittering Mike Ashley era began at Newcastle United, Sam Allardyce was his first manager at St James's Park. Big Sam lasted a matter of months before he was unceremoniously dumped in favour of Kevin Keegan. I don't know about you, but Allardyce strikes me as the kind of guy that would hold a grudge, and he's described that sacking as the biggest knockback of his career. How he would love to dent the Magpies' top four hopes by leading relegation threat and leads to victory on Saturday lunchtime. I'm Kevin Hatchard, and this is Football Only Better. No surprise sackings when it comes to my top tipping team, starting with Mark O'Hare. Mark leads to the heavy outsiders here at five on the exchange to win the game against Newcastle. That's kind of understandable when you look at Leeds' recent performances over the last few weeks. But with Allardyce in charge, do we give them hope of basically stinking the game up and managing to grind something out? Um, there's always an opportunity, but I think because of Leeds's position which is even more precarious now after the results on Monday when the relegation rivals picked up big results they can't really afford to play for a point I don't believe anymore I think they have to start going to try and win matches and look Newcastle aren't a lock for the top four either so suddenly there's much massive pressure on on the Toonami as well coming into this match and um, I think it makes it quite tricky actually just trying to work out how these two teams try and approach things because Liverpool are now hot on the heels of Newcastle and Man United in terms of the, the Champions League race so in terms of Newcastle, a lot was made of the Arsenal defeat, um, you know, a rare defeat for Newcastle. I thought they competed really well, actually, and had chances of their own, um, started excellently, actually. And the goal came, the opening goal came quite against the run of play and it sort of altered the pattern of, of the match, really. And they lost a little bit of their, their what's made them so special so far this season after that. And I think Arsenal certainly flourished from a, a position of being ahead. And, you know, Isak looked a little bit isolated on the left. I prefer to see him a bit more centrally. Bruno Gimmerich probably had his worst game for a while. Um, Jorginho did a really good sh- job shackling him. But I think the biggest criticism for Newcastle was was them sort of the, the temperament in the second half. They did lose their heads a little bit. Uh, they'll have to improve upon that coming into this match because it will be a fiery atmosphere. At Ellen Road, um, obviously the, the home fans will be well keen to to support Allardyce in his first home fixture, um, you assume. But um, Newcastle have been pretty relentless in their, their results against the, the lesser lights. So they've won 18 of 26 against teams outside the top four. Their record away at the bottom five is five wins from five. They've scored multiple goals in all five of those, which is very impressive. And their record actually are odds on favourite favouritism is very strong too so um, you can understand the pricing um, but how do we rate Leeds and how do we expect Leeds to approach this we've only had one game under Allardyce I wasn't especially impressed to be honest I know the scoreline suggested it was quite a close game but for the first hour or so Leeds just looked like they were happy to accept defeat sit deep Bamford up top on his own isolated happy to play with possession as well wasn't he he was really poor yeah and but I think we saw what Leeds are capable of when Rodrigo came on because there is attacking ability in that squad. Uh, Nonto obviously coming back into the team as well. I don't know why he was so underused under Javi Gracia, but um, I know the the game changed when Rodrigo scored that goal, but in the last 20 minutes, they did give City a few frights. And um, I guess we saw an air of chaos, which um, 
has been sort of their positive, if you like, as well as their negative over recent years. So I'm really intrigued to see how Allardyce approaches this because I don't believe Leeds can afford to to sit back and try and play for a point here. I think they have to be proactive. I think they have to take um, the initiative here. But um, that will obviously give Newcastle probably more opportunities, if you like. But uh, in terms of in terms of a bet, I did find it really difficult as a betting heat because um, I don't want to back Newcastle to overcome a, a big handicap. I don't want to back a goal line, which is pretty high. Um, but I also don't want to go oppose it either because of the the way in which this match is set up. Leeds requiring a win, Newcastle requiring a win as well. You should you should imagine both teams will take a front foot approach. So, you know, nine of Leeds' last ten have featured three goals or more. Eight of Newcastle's last ten have gone over as well. So perhaps you look to, to take over two and three quarter goals, uh, but it's not a big enough price to, to sort of get me on side. So if I really had to have a bet on this match, which I don't want to, I'd probably back Newcastle to you win. You have to. You have no choice, Matt. <laughs> uh, just boost the Newcastle price up by including over one and a half goals. You, you get odds against there. They have won eight of the last ten. They've scored at least twice in all of those wins. And Leeds you know, have lost six of the last eight, and they've conceded twice or more in all of those losses as well. So um, interested to hear what the lads have said, but I'm quite happy to pass this one up. Maths genius and top tipster Mark Stinchkin moves on fire in our midweek European show. Joins us once again, Stinch, as Mark has alluded to, Newcastle suddenly being put under serious pressure by Liverpool in the race for that top four. And that looked as though it was out of Liverpool's reach a couple of weeks ago, but suddenly they're right back in it. Yeah, there's still a bit of a, a gap they've got to them. Um <clears throat> Just looking at the table now, Newcastle 65 points to Liverpool's 62 and Newcastle have a game in hand. So I think there's probably been more made in the media um, about Liverpool's top four charge, if you like, because they've had six straight wins. But if you look at United's remaining fixtures, for example, they play Wolves at home, uh, Bournemouth away, Chelsea home, Fulham home. So that's three of their four games at home. So really, and they're coming up against teams with nothing to play for, Wolves and Bournemouth almost mathematically safe so I would be surprised actually if Liverpool do make the the top four but as we know we do get some uh, volatile results at this time of the year sometimes but yeah when they come up against teams that may be already on the beach then I, I think yeah it's it's Liverpool left it probably a little bit too late um, Liverpool would t- have to win out wouldn't they and then hope that yeah I, I mean Man- Liv- I think Manchester United need nine if Liverpool win out or something like that so- yeah yeah I mean Liverpool's fixtures aren't too difficult in a sense Leicester away Villa home Southampton away um, but it would meant they've won nine games in a row if they do win yeah. those three as well and al- already that was a big ask so um, and they haven't been 100% convincing in uh, in those six wins either no. Um, no. so yeah I, I think they've essentially left it too little too late but I was um, I was quite interested in your um, introduction on, on Allardyce because uh, I only saw yesterday although it was last week in his press conference He said, there is nobody ahead of me in football terms. And he referenced Pep Guardiola, Jürgen Klopp and Mikel Arteta. I thought it was very interesting. Yeah. Um, Maybe he thought he should have been in the dugout for Real Madrid instead of Ancelotti against Man City. I think he does believe that. I mean, he says this constantly, that if he was called Sam Aladici, he'd get these big jobs. I mean, I don't know why that moves the needle, but there we go. But yeah, he's definitely got that chip on his shoulder. No question. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and he looks, I mean, no offence to him, but he, he looks a little bit old and maybe out of touch. With, uh, <laughs> I mean, with... I mean, to be fair, he, he he's not the youngest. No. Yeah. So, um, and obviously it's a huge change from um, Bielsa to Marsh 
to Javi Gracia to Allardyce. Mm. I mean, that's that's from it's an one extreme. Journey. Yeah, one extreme to another. So, and obviously we know Leeds' remaining fixtures are very difficult. They've got to play Spurs home final game of the season as well. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm with Mark here. There's just too many unknowns for me in how this game is is likely to play out. I had exactly the same bet kind of written down. Uh, Newcastle's winning over 1.5 goals, but then I sort of thought about it a bit deeper, um, and I just thought I was maybe being a bit lazy. To, to not consider the fact that we've only got one game under Allardyce to analyse so far and it's away against the best team in the league where, yeah, you, you're going to lose most of the time. Um, so, yeah, it was just it was just too many unknowns in, in my mind. Um, with the playoffs this weekend, there's a, there's a lot more um, long-term data to look at and, and better bets in my mind. So I was happy to, to swerve. Also, it's the early kickoff, and I, I, know, yeah. I don't want to be too lazy and say you know that it changes something but because they're playing before everybody else they don't know what everyone else has already kind of achieved and if they were to play last thing on on monday for example when they know that oh actually other teams have won maybe it changes their attacking approach and they go out more so yeah i think it's uh, too many unknowns for the the lunchtime kickoff now, these are all the things you have to consider our team is completed by tipster and trader brian mcdonald brian these two have run away from this game. Is there anything that you see that you like the look of? No, three men sitting on the fence. Wonderful, I think wonderful. Yeah. I'm glad I picked this as the opening game. I'm delighted. Well, I can't see the meme sort of on, on Twitter after the game already. You know, Leeds haven't won a game against the top four all season. Enter Big Sam and, and a picture of him probably laughing at a Bruno Gomares as he's down on his hunkers after his mastermind leads to a 2-1 win. Um I agree with what Mark was saying, though. It's 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 all or nothing now for Leeds, really. Like, uh, draws won't do. Like, they, they are going to have to go out and, and, and take the front foot and, and try and win this game, which I think does open the game up to, to goals. I was looking at the over 2.5, which was played at about 175. I think that was that, that's fair enough. Um, in terms of Leeds and Allardyce, like, I did, I was away last weekend. I didn't see the game against Man City. Obviously, 2-1 is, you'd nearly take that going to the Etihad. Um Although I did hear that Man City could have put six or seven. Yeah, it, was, it, was, it was a lot more dominant than 2-1. Yeah, but I think there, there's still a lot to be said about just, just you know, strangely taking confidence about not getting hammered by, by as much as, as you maybe should have. Like, you know, and they were never going to expect to win um, or, or get any points. So this is the start of the three games now where you think Leeds probably need points in, in all three of the, the, the remaining games to, to stay up the way the results went against them on them. Um, on your bank holiday um, Monday. I liked what Allardyce did against Man City, though, looking at the, the lineups in uh, against Man City and dropping Meslier, first of all, um, or Melier. You know, there's no doubt that he'll be a top keeper at just 23 years old, but he, he Big Sam obviously knows he, he's low on confidence. He, he's had a few errors this season. He's brought in Joe Robles from, from um, who, who he works with uh, at Everton as well and who he knows and who he's more familiar with. So, He's not afraid to, to, to make drastic decisions and, uh, at this stage of the season. And I do think, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to base it off any sort of performances that, that they've had recently. But I do think at the 5.0, maybe you can have, have a small go with 12.30, and um, Into the head, I'd probably go, I'd probably go with, with Leeds at the price. But I'm not as confident in that. What I'm looking at here for this match is the cards markets. Each team to receive two or more cards in this one is around 11 to 8. 
And what's been a, a feisty affair this fixture since Leeds have been back in the Premier League um, in the reverse fixture at St. James's Park it was a nil-all draw. It was eight yellow cards. And you can imagine in this one, if, if either team takes the lead at any stage in the game, you know, there's going to be time wasting from the moment that team goes in front. There'll be frustrated challenges heading in from, from both sets of teams as well. It's early game at Ellen Road, as I said, a hostile atmosphere. Newcastle were, were served a bit of their own medicine last week, but are some sort of shithousery last week. But they'll be back to their, their own, they'll be back to their old tricks, you know, straight away. Um, and just the referee for this one, Simon Hooper, he's in charge. He's averaged 3.67 yellow cards for Leeds uh, in the matches he's refereed for them this season and over two yellows for Newcastle as well, 2.33. So that's the first and third highest average across all 20 teams he's refereed this season. Um, so I'm going to go with over each team to receive two or more cards. I can also envisage Allardyce and Eddie Howe getting in a bit of a, a heated scrap on the touchline, uh, but any cards there given won't, won't count towards our total, unfortunately. Lovely Eddie Howe. Lovely, cuddly teddy bear Eddie Howe getting into a ruck. Sam Allardyce can get anyone uh, riled up, I think. I cannot believe it. We shall see what happens. Uh, we're making a few changes, by the way, to our great daily offers here at Betfair. You now have to opt in to promotions to enjoy the rewards available on the Sportsbook and Exchange. You can opt in quickly and easily by clicking a promotional banner or going straight to the promotions page and clicking opt in. There's a step-by-step guide on betting.betfair.com. Let's head to the south coast. Southampton up against Fulham. Saints on the brink of relegation. Stinch, I cannot think of a club that has made more, apart from Leeds, who are close, who've made more appalling recruitment decisions than Southampton. Got rid of Ralph Hasenhuttle, perfectly good coach who kept them afloat for years. Got rid of him. Brought in Nathan Jones, bonkers. Um, that that was a complete waste of everybody's time. And then, just because Ruben Sellers was there, just went, oh, you can do it. Spend millions on players, making sure they sleep right, making sure they've got the right nutrition, and then just hire a guy who's got a nice coat. It's really strange behaviour. Yeah, it strikes me as very similar to, just going back a little bit, but Charlton in the Premier League, <clears throat> they were always punching above their weight, nice, yes. healthy, comfortable finishes. Like, what if we had got someone better than Alan Kerbishley or tried to get someone better than Alan Kerbishley? In actual fact, they didn't realise that they were overachieving and yeah. look look where they are now. Yeah, um, I think we talk about it almost weekly, don't we? The some of these terrible recruitment decisions that, that are made and there seems to be such a, le- a zero lack of accountability. These people that make these decisions seem to always fall on their feet and end up in another club somewhere else. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't understand it. Um, and I think Southampton probably are doomed. What are they? Eight points adrift of safety, three games to go. Yeah, it looks, uh, it obviously looks like they are definitely down. It's going to be two more from probably four, uh, of the, of the, of the other teams fighting the relegation. Uh, Fulham, um, aren't giving up the ghost as we kind of sort of referenced. A, a They've few been times great, recently. haven't they? Mm, like yeah. we thought they might be drifting towards the beach and they've gone, no, they've burnt the swimwear. Like they're, they're not interested in the beach at all. They've been great. Yeah, especially without Mitrovic as well, who's obviously, yeah. you know, a huge contributor for them in terms of goals. Um, so one would kind of think that you'd expect a Fulham to not score as, as many goals and obviously be not not to be picking up wins but it couldn't be further from the from the truth and I think the the great thing about this game is uh, obviously 
given the fact that Southampton need to win. Um, I never never like to kind of justify a bet because a, a team needs to win, but I think it means Southampton's approach will essentially have to be at some point attack. Um, yes, they might give up <laughs> or might just to not turn up. But actually, we've said this a few times this season about Brighton. Fulham are probably capable of uh, clearing the goal line by themselves. So yeah. that's the that's my angle again, really, because um, over two and a half goals is uh, chalked up as sort of 50-50 shot, um, just short of 10 to 11, the pair, both of them. And I think over should be should be favourite. Um, not not mention this because um, because it's happened last weekend where, or the last couple of weekends where we've seen a, a glut of goals. But we all know come the end of the season, the goal averages increase across most leagues because teams take the handbrake off a little bit. They play with uh, they play more on the front foot because they're safe or, or teams are on the beach so they kind of don't engage and they allow the other team to sort of you know overwhelm them. So yeah, very happy to back overs at the the prices. I mean we know about Southampton defensively. Um, they conceded at least two goals in five of the last six games and and Fulham we know are the over two and a half kings uh, in the Premier League anyway. Um, 66% of their games this season over two and a half goals and we know that they went through a little bit of a malaise post World Cup but seven of the last 10 have gone over 2.5 and that's obviously with a a lot of the time without uh, Mitrovic so very very positive and obviously he's back this weekend so yep very happy to back that. Uh, It was 2-1 in the reverse fixture and Fulham matches uh, this season are only averaging 2.83 goals, which surprised me. But the expected goals is up at 3.26. So I think uh, between now and the end of the season, um, we could actually see sort of more than the the, the um, expected goals in, in the game. So, for example, the, the market is obviously envisaging around about 2.7 goals in this game. But I think we could easily see four or potentially five. And if not in this game, in, in Fulham's remaining two games as well. I'm very much enjoying William at the moment, kind of drawing in all of the spiritual energy of Brazilian wingers past. Uh, he's been absolutely brilliant this season, just like just like Ray. Here's the voices of the Jedi in the Rise of Skywalker, which is one of Marco Hare's favourite films. That's right, Mark, isn't it? It's one of no, your favourites. That what you're talking about. You're speaking no, a foreign language, but um, not a clue. He does um, not know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking uh, forward to this game. Oh, good. Um, I'm yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I yeah, I've got not got a huge amount to say because Stinch has has pinched all the good points. But um, I only brought I, you I, in to talk about pop culture. You don't have to give me a view on this game if you don't want to. It's fine. Well, I've got a bet. I've got the same bet. Oh, as go Stinch. on then. Go on. Um, then. Over two and a half goals. There we go. You can move okay. on. Okay. Good. <laughs> um, Comprehensive. Saints. Just on Southampton, um, I don't think they can have any complaints, obviously, because, the, you know, as we're always told, the league table doesn't lie. It does lie. But in Southampton's case, it definitely doesn't because they're winless. Screams out the truth from every rooftop. <laughs> yeah, don't get me started. Um, they, they've not won in 10. They've lost seven of those. They've only won twice at St. Mary's all season. So, yeah, it's been pretty bleak. But I was actually quite impressed by their performance on Monday night at, at the City Ground. Uh, they won the shot count 19-9 and they generated 2.45 non-penalty expected goals, which is a tally only Man United have bettered at the City Ground this season. So they really went for it. Um, and I think they will continue to try to play in the right way towards the end of the campaign because it's a, a very young squad and a lot of those players will be well aware that their futures may lie elsewhere. They may not get another opportunity to play in the Premier League and they'll be eager to try and prove their worth, I'm sure. So I think we saw against Newcastle, at least the way in which they started, um, 
you know, Southampton played pretty positively. Uh, game state dictated things went differently. At the Emirates, they were very dangerous. Um, offered plenty going forward. Uh, they scored against Man City at home recently. And they scored three against Spurs, of course, as well. So I would expect Southampton to give it a good go. But as you guys have said, you know, Fulham certainly haven't um, packed for holidays just yet. They've been pretty good, actually. Very, very impressive against City and Liverpool, despite those defeats. And then sort of took their anger out on Leicester last weekend. They've beaten both Everton and Leeds 3-1 and 2-1 in recent weeks. And their record against the bottom five is absolutely brilliant. They've won eight, drawn one, and lost none of those nine games. They've scored twice or more in seven of them as well. So with Mitrovic back, you would expect Fulham to contribute here. Possibly a couple of goals, maybe more, considering where Southampton's heads are at. Certainly the players looked like they'd uh, you know, realised they were going down on Monday night. They slumped off the pitch and are very um, disappointed and despondent. But um, Fulham themselves have kept a clean sheet in eleven. And they're playing a Saints side with just one clean sheet at St Mary's all season. Uh, and as Stinch was saying um, about May being uh, the considerably the highest scoring month for Premier League football, if you exclude all the sort of COVID football, um, since 2014-15, the Premier League goals per game average in the month of May is 2.95, which is a decent hike on sort of season-long averages. And that's actually a trend which is kind of repeated across the board in almost all the major leagues in Europe too. So small sample, of course, but we've played 15 matches in May so far in the Premier League. We've had 47 goals, which is 3.13, which would kind of coincide with that too. So, yeah, I think this game, I'm, I'm just struggling to work out why the market is suggesting over-unders as a 50-50 here. For me, it's quite a solid play on overs. In sport, what's just as important as the goals, the glory, the roar of the crowd? Yes, it's the half-time break. Time for a breather, a reset to keep everything on track. In sports betting, Betfair's safer gambling tools help you do that too. Like timeouts, so you take that all-important half-time break. Or deposit limits, to help you keep count. Manage your play at safergambling.betfair.com. Simple ways to stay on top of your game with Betfair. 18plusbegambleaware.org To Old Trafford then, Manchester United suddenly wobbling a bit in their bid to finish in the Champions League spots. David De Gea with a bit of a midlife crisis. Uh, errors in Seville and in East London against West Ham. Brian, their game against Wolves. The temptation is to think, ah, Wolves are safe. This will be fine. But United are, are really grinding to a halt at the moment. They've got players injured. They've got players not playing well. I mean, the assumption is they win this game, but it might not be that straightforward. Yeah, their confidence is, is definitely shot, especially um, in front of goal. I mean, if you look back to the Brighton game where they lost, they, they should have been out of sight and early. They had a, they had a lot of chances, um, but it was different against West Ham. As soon as they went behind, they never really looked like getting back into the game until maybe Martial had a couple of chances late on. Um, I think Stinch pointed it out earlier on, though. I think the chasing back, especially Liverpool, they've left it just too little too late. Like... The cliche is you'd rather the, the points on, on, on the board than the games in hand. Well, luckily for Man United, you know, they have both, um, you know, they're a point clear and they have the game in hand. And I think what's most important for Man United is out of their four remaining games, three of those are at Old Trafford, where they've been in brilliant form all season. They've only lost once there and they've only conceded eight goals um, at home, which is incredibly incredible, really, when you look at the next lowest amount of goals conceded at home. It's doubled that at, at 16 goals. They've kept clean sheets in each of their last five home league games. And I think when you're keeping clean sheets at home, there's no better team to play than Wolves, who have been pretty abysmal away from home really all season. Um, they're the second lowest scorers away from home. Their last outing was a, a, a away game, was a 6-0 hammering at Brighton. 
Before that, they lost at Leicester. They drew with Nottingham Forest away as well. It's been their home form, really. What's what's brought them to safety and, and, and pulled away from the relegation battle. I think they're going to come to Old Trafford and try and stink the place up. Um, and as I said, Man United haven't been converting their chances of late, really. So I can't see this being a high-scoring game. Um, I wouldn't want to back Man United to win at the, the short price of at trading about one forty-one um, on the exchange at the moment. But you can boost their price up um, to odds against. It's eleven to ten at the moment for Man United to win and under three point five goals. So that gives you one nil, two nil, or two one Man United. And I think that's about fair when you, especially when you consider the last twelve head to heads against these sides have all finished with under three and a half goals. This football season, get a helping hand with Betfair's popular bet builder. Easily add our most popular or fan favourite football selections to your bet slip in just one tap. T's and C's in the description. 18 plus. See gambleaware.org. Now, if you didn't see last weekend's action, sit down because I have some shocking news for you. Chelsea won a game. It's amazing. Yes, Super Frankie Lampy Chops is back as an elite manager and Chelsea are safe from the drop. Yay! They face Nottingham Forest, who are far from safe, but did beat Saints on Monday in an absolutely bonkers game. Mark, the temptation here is to think Chelsea are really flaky, Forest need to get something, but Forest is so rubbish away from home. This is this is probably going to be a Chelsea win, isn't it? I'm not sure. Um, Ooh, I certainly okay. want to back, wouldn't want to back Chelsea. Um, I was going to say the worst prize, worst price of the week uh, has to be Chelsea here at 1.52 on the exchange. I think it's yeah, that is horrendous. Um, yeah, I mean, Forest have shown signs of life, I think, in recent weeks, not just at the city ground and plenty of firepower in that team. And I think they're still, as you say, very much scrapping for their lives. And I, I appreciate their away record is, is incredibly off-putting, 13 defeats in 17 absolutely atrocious i get that but actually if you look at some of the games individually they've been very very competitive for the most part they conceded two really late goals against brentford when they played pretty well for the first hour one of which came in stoppage time to lose that game uh really rattled liverpool at anfield with a, a very impressive counter-attacking display at villa and leeds they started really strongly and then fell away um i don't think they're that far away from getting results on the road um now monday was massive for them three points now above the drop zone they can go to chelsea with confidence so yeah i'm quite happy to back forest with a, a plus one and a quarter goal start on the asian handicap here um at 1.8 it means even if they lose by one goal we make a half stakes profit so a win or a draw pays out in full the only way you lose your money is if chelsea win this match by two goals or more now chelsea um only the bottom six teams have won fewer games than chelsea this season only two sides have scored fewer goals than Chelsea this season, and only five sides have collected fewer home points than Chelsea this season. Yet they're 1.52 to win this, and they've won five Premier League matches in the last 25, going wow. back to mid-October. Oh, and that's before we even get started on how many times Chelsea have won the match by two goals or more. So even last weekend, I thought they were pretty bang average for the most part. Had to really kind of come from behind late on to get that win at Bournemouth. Uh, they've been astonishing back, astonishingly bad for quite some time, so absolutely no chance in hell I'm backing them at 152. More than happy to oppose them and, and give Forrest a, a bit of a chance. Um, probably on a more positive Chelsea note, um, you know, I haven't really understood many of Frank Lampard's selections so far and how Xiao Felix is barely getting a look in these days. is It's quite baffling, but uh, one player who's come into the team and, and impressed, I think, is uh, Noni, Noddy Madueke. Is that how yeah. I say his name? Noddy yeah. Madueke, yeah. Good player. Yeah. 
He is. You know, he scored at Arsenal off the bench and, and he's had three shots last week when starting against Bournemouth. Uh, now, across his last seven Premier League appearances, he's only started four of those. Yeah, he's had nine attempts at goal, which works out at a shot every 37 minutes. Five of those nine efforts were on target. Um, no prices yet on Betfair, but uh, if you look around the market, Madawaki to have a shot on target is around five to six, nine to ten. Uh, that's a really nice price if he is starting because Chelsea are at home at Stamford Bridge. They would expect to get a result from this match regardless of how we interpret this match. And if he is starting, he does like to have a dig from distance as well. Um, should get into some good positive positions too with Forrest having to sort of press and, and try and pick up a, a positive result. So, yeah, that was a, a price of interest really. So, um, if he does get a, a start, of course, from the way Lampard's sort of selecting his teams these days, who knows who starts in this team at the weekend. But, um, yeah. One to look out for team news-wise. Let's take it into the EFL. Stinch, what have you got for us? Yeah, playoffs begin this weekend, which is always fantastic viewing. Um, I think it's difficult to justify watching every single game. So if you can't do that, make sure you at least watch the, the second legs. But yeah, yeah the yeah. first legs tend to be really, really, really cagey. So looking at uh, League One in this uh, particular bet, uh, Peterborough v Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday slight favourites, even though they're the away team at uh, 13 to 8, Peterborough 7 to 4. But uh, as I mentioned, I'm expecting a, a cagey game, so automa automatically looking at the, the goal market. And I'm quite surprised that uh, under two and a half goals is 8 to 11. I mean, I, in my mind, uh, sort of. Um, at, 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 sort of rough template I would always make probably the the first leg sort of like four to seven I know that might seem a bit extreme but they are just generally low scoring and and I'm quite happy to lean on this one as going that way given that Sheffield Wednesday are the favourites and allegedly the better team and the fact they've got Darren Moore as manager so I feel he's the reason that they haven't achieved automatic promotion because his his defensive-minded setup essentially essentially he's i feel like he's very pragmatic and essentially they you know they've got the best well, fine defender in his day yeah of course of course it's kind of similar to gareth southgate you know um don't feel as though he gets the best out of the attacking options he has available and essentially goes well we'll make sure we don't get beat and then we'll go from there. But when you've got the best player in the division in, in Barry Bannon, I think you've got to be playing more front foot football. Like, it's two seasons now he's been in charge. And OK, yeah, League One last year was really, really tough. But this year, Plymouth have massively, massively overachieved. Yeah. And Wednesday had it. Wednesday were top of the league not so long ago and then chucked in some bizarre performances away at the likes of Forest Green and other teams down at the bottom. So it's their own fault they've thrown it away. And it's through this... As I say, not not going on the front foot and, and attacking. And when you look at um, playoff matches in League One, um, eight of the last 12 first leg playoff matches have been under two and a half goals with a goal average of 2.08. Now, I can imagine people maybe like put off a little bit because it's Peterborough and maybe long term you associate Peterborough with, with goal heavy and crazy games. But actually, uh, the two matches between these two this season have been really, really tight. Uh, both of the home teams won those matches, 2-0 uh, and 1-0. And the expected goals in both those games were very, very low as well, 1.49 and 1.08. And actually, both of these two are, are in the top two for uh, shots against this season, which kind of surprised me. Um, and we look at Sheffield Wednesday in the playoffs last year. They played Sunderland. Um, the games finished 1-0 and 1-1. So, yeah, I'm very surprised that it's not sure. And, uh, yeah, so under two and a half goals, around about 1.84 on the exchange is my bet here. 
Now, some very exciting news to bring you ahead of Saturday's Eurovision Grand Final. For the first time, we're making a podcast ahead of the greatest glitter fest on the planet. I'll be joined by the Eurovision trading aficionado, Rob Ferber. He knows everything about Eurovision, I'm telling you right now. Uh, and Betfair's Sam Rosbottom will be with us as well with all the facts and figures for Eurovision Only Better. Do not miss it. We'll have a preview uh, on our website, Betting betfair.com we've also got previews ahead of the semi-finals so if you're quick you might be able to read the preview ahead of thursday's second semi-final uh, now it is time for the world famous podcast treble betting features so revered that conchita Wurst hasn't come to the uk for eurovision at all she actually came to meet mark and get the best scottish based ackers how this works is each of the three guys comes up with a selection ahead of the weekend's action and lovely traders like brian Wrap them up for us in a boosted treble. And Brian, I will start with you. Yeah, I'm just going to stick with what I said earlier on with Man United to win, and I'll throw in with the under 3.5 match goals as well. Okay, Stinch, what have you got for us? Yeah, continue the Premier League theme and back over two and a half goals in Southampton v Fulham, as we spoke about earlier. And Mark, take us home. Uh, I will back both teams to score when Arsenal play Brighton on Sunday, which you'll hear about on Sunday's show. Oh, look at all that. A very uh, Premier League treble. A very uh, high glamour there. Now, finally, talking of glamour, it is the moment you've all been waiting for. It is, of course, Mark O'Hare's Scott Watch. Mark, take it away. Stinch has already been talking about the playoffs, but north of the border, the playoffs are already well underway. Uh, Tuesday night was terrific fun for those who were focused on the Scottish lower leagues. Um, instead of Man City versus Real Madrid, we had upsets, we had high-scoring shootouts, some really impressive goals and some upsets too. So uh, the second legs of this weekend, but I'm going to leave them alone because I think the Scottish Premiership is uh, the place to be. Um, we talked about Aberdeen about a month ago. You've changed. You've changed. <laughs> What's going on? Well, <laughs> it's the playoffs, isn't it? So it's, yeah, I mean, I'm sticking to what I know, just regular league, league season football. And Aberdeen just looked too big. They're 11 to 10 to beat Hibs on Saturday. Um, completely different team since Jim Goodwin's sacking at the end of January. Uh, Barry Robson took charge on an interim basis. He's now been appointed full time because there's been a, just a, a complete turnaround, a transformation in Aberdeen's performances. Uh, in the last 10, they've won eight times. Their only defeats came against Celtic and Rangers. And actually, they played Rangers twice in the last fortnight, beat them at Pitodri, and then lost narrowly last weekend at Ibrox, where um, Robson was really frustrated and angry, actually, about some of the VAR decisions in that game, which he felt cost his side. So they've been super competitive against Scotland's second-best team, conceding just one goal in the last two meetings. Across the last eight games, they've kept six clean sheets, conceding just two goals. They're now five clear of Hearts in third, and their home record is exceptional as well. 11 wins from 14 when you exclude the old firm. So... Only the, the two teams at the top, Celtic and Rangers, have won more home games, scored more home goals or earned more home points than Aberdeen. Uh, and they're playing a Hibs team who are just um, traditional Hibs, really, I guess. You know, just bombing around in mid-table, getting results at Easter Road, but being pretty wishy-washy on their travels. Ten defeats in 17 away. They lost 4-1 at Pitodri here in November, uh, and they just tend to fall short against the best, better sides in the league when playing away, uh, six defeats and seven at top half teams, and just three clean sheets on the travels across all, all opponents as well. So if they do fall behind, it's going to be very difficult for them to claw their way back in. Uh, they've not got a huge amount of to play for either. So I expect Aberdeen to, to be strong there. Um, in terms of culture corner, we've already done Aberdeen. So I thought, why not, why not have a little look at Hibs? 
or Hibernian as they're known, uh, a club founded in 1875 by Edinburgh's Irish community and they were named Hibernian after the Roman word for Ireland. So Hibs obviously being the nickname also known as the Hibbies, occasionally known as the Cabbage. That's because uh, <laughs> it's a name derived from the shortened rhyming slang for Hibs, Cabbage and Ribs, Hibs. Ah, um they reached the semi-finals of the first ever European Cup in 1956, became the first British side to participate in Europe. Uh, it came not long after the golden era for Hibernian football, the 1950s, where they dominated the Scottish game, had the famous five in attack, not the uh, Enid Blighted book. Eden, Eden Blighted I was going to say, there'd be a height disadvantage there, <laughs> wouldn't there? <laughs> no, uh, Gordon Smith, Bobby Johnston, Laurie Riley, Eddie Turnbull and Willie Ormond. Um, so good that uh, they named the North Stand at Easter, Easter Road after them when it was reconstructed in 1995. All five of them have been inducted into the Scottish Hall of Fame long long ago as well. Um, now, anyone who's seen or read the novel and film Trainspotting will have noticed a big Hibs theme too. Many of the characters support Hibs in the film, in the book. You can see Francis wearing a Hibs shirt when he's playing five-a-side, and there's also Hibs posters and pictures on the walls of Mark Renton's bedroom. That's because the author of Trainspotting, Irvine Welsh, is a big fan. I wouldn't know. I've not seen the film. I've not read the book. But uh, if you have, you might have spotted a few hip shirts. So there's drug references in that, aren't there, Mark? That's a bit dangerous. I've heard that, yeah. Bit, it's bit a bit naughty, isn't it? You don't want to be going near that stuff. Uh, that's <laughs> all we have time for, sadly, on this edition of Football Only Better. Always good to finish on drug references. Uh, please do remember to gamble responsibly and stay away from drugs, kids. Uh, watch out for that Eurovision podcast. It's going to be great because I'll be on it. It's, it's going to be really, really good. Uh, we've got the Sunday show as well, featuring Arsenal and Manchester City's games as they tussle for the title. You've done the first part of being, you know, a cool kid. You need to do the second part. You need to listen to the Sunday show. It's what takes you from dweeb to cool kid. Uh, from Kev, Brian, I've got, a, from, I've, got oh. a 30, I've got a 30 to 1 bet for Sunday, so you'd be mad to miss out. You see? You see? All the cool kids, they're going to hear this 30 to 1 bet. All the dweebs who go, oh, no, I've, I've heard Saturday. I'm not, I don't need to listen to Sunday. They're going to miss out on that 30 to 1 bet. So make sure you listen on Sunday. From Brian, from Stinch, from Mark and from me, it is goodbye for now.